0: Well, good evening, everyone. My name is, in fact, Josh, and it is really nice to be here. Um, today's title, uh, as we finish the Exodus series, is uh, A People of, of Purpose. And... This idea of purpose—I guess everybody thinks about um, this idea. Everyone thinks, "Well, what is my purpose in life? What is the meaning of life?" Maybe I—I uh, I run a big questions club in a local senior school, and in preparation for today, I thought I'd ask them that very question. I said, "What do you think your purpose is?" And I think that some of them were trying to get the right answer. Um, maybe not. Some of them were definitely weren't. But um, what some of them said, you know, is to love. It's to live. And one of them said that there is no purpose in life. But I wonder what you would say. I wonder what you would think when you think of this idea of purpose, to be heading somewhere to no meaning in, in life. But how does having a purpose look in such a broken and confused world? I want to unpack today how I believe that God's people are a people of purpose. I believe that the only way to make sense of a confused and broken world is to find a personal and corporate purpose in it. I found that this desire to know that can only be met in a living relationship with Jesus. And today we're going to go on a journey from Exodus to today, from an old covenant to a new covenant, from um, limited access to God's presence by this this nation of Israel, a sinful nation, to us, still sinful, but a people who, if we want it, can fully access the god 's presence because of Jesus limited to limitless excited yeah, you should be not because of me it 's good stuff it 's the bible um, let 's go on a let 's go on a journey shall we so um there's some pew bibles we 're going to read Exodus 19 to 40. I hope you have nowhere to be this evening. Let's uh, say, let's I'm only checking. Um, we're not actually going to read all of that. We have a short section we're going to read in a minute from Exodus 19. But I have, I have read Exodus 19 to 40. You'll be happy to know in prep for this. And I have decided to summarize it for you with a little help from the cutest members of my family, um, Ezra and Sophie. They're my children. So let's roll these slides. So, chapters 1 to 18. God rescues Israel through the Passover lamb, delivered them through the sea and into the wilderness. The second half starts at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God invites the nation of Israel to enter um, a covenant relationship or an agreement. If Israel obeys the terms of the contract, so shaped by its laws and teachings, they will become a kingdom of priests, an example. They eagerly accept. God appears as a cloud and Moses receives the Ten Commandments. People agree with Moses as mediator. God takes the relationship forward another step. His holy, divine and good presence to dwell in the midst of his people. He gives access to his presence lost at the fall to Israel. Promises that someday this will be for all nations. There's then seven chapters on something called the tabernacle where God dwells, the hot spot, if you will, of God's presence, where God and his people can be together in peace, at least in theory, because something goes wrong and Israel breaks. Moses (laughs) getting tabernacle brew Meanwhile, Israel make a golden calf idol so that they can worship it as the God who saved them out of Egypt. They break the first two commands of the covenant they just agreed to, no other gods and no idols. God knows what is happening. He invites Moses into his anger and pain. He tells Moses what he wants to do, to wipe Israel out. Moses intercedes, God relents. He does bring judgment on the instigators, but he forgives the nation as a whole and renews his covenant. God then describes his character, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in covenant faithfulness. He forgives sin, but he cannot leave the wicked unpunished. He's full of mercy, but he must deal with evil. Above all, he is faithful to his promise, even if it means committing himself to a people who are utterly faithless. After the renewal of the covenant, he commissions Moses to build a tabernacle another another five chapters of instructions. And we get to the final chapter, chapter 40. The tabernacle is finished. God's glorious divine presence, yeah, that's, that's that, um, <laughs> hovers over the tent. Moses goes to get in, and he can't actually go in, and the book Ends there. Feels like a bit of a surprising end to this story, especially considering what it is supposed to be doing. It's supposed to be saying that actually, actually, it's not really surprising. Israel's sin has damaged the relationship with God. Exodus opened with Pharaoh's evil threatening Israel and God's covenant promise to His people, but as it ends, actually, Israel has become its own worst enemy. Their sin is now the thing threatening the future of the covenant. And so, how is God? going to reconcile this, give his people access to him. Let's just pause for a moment with this idea of access to God. If actually one of the subjects of the message today is that we can have access to God, the real God, then we should probably stop and take a minute and realize that is an amazing opportunity, an opportunity that if we grasp it with both hands, has the potential to be life-changing. Let's recognize that. Um, Your sheets and the end of your pews, if you want to get them. We're going to read six verses from Exodus 19 as opposed to Exodus 19 to 40. So let's go. If you want to grab these, it says this. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Let's just define covenant for a moment as an irrevocable agreement made between two parties. And let's define presence as access to God, him being present with us, knowing and being known. God called Moses up the mountain and commissioned him as a mediator to speak to Israel on behalf of God. This is what you are to say. So on your sheets, what are Israel told to do? supposed to be that way around that helps yeah one two three four five six i'm a youth leader this is what we do just to make sure people are really following we invite them to take notes you can do that if you want um the first thing that israel did was this is they look back to know who their god is verse four you yourselves have seen what i did to the egyptians and how i bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself israel is encouraged to remember the mighty deeds of their god what he has done for them In the past, that he has delivered them from Egypt and brought them into freedom. I wonder if you'll agree with me. I wonder how much easier it is to trust somebody who you know. Um, When my wife Amy tells me that she is going to do something, I trust she will. Why? Because she has in the past. I know her to be somebody who does her very best to be faithful to what she's saying. But actually, if someone comes up to me, let's call them Fred, and says, I'm going to do this, I hope they will, but I have no history to hope in. And actually, what God is saying at the very start of Exodus 19, 1-6, to is remember who I am. You can trust me. They look back to know who their God is. The next thing that Israel does in response to this covenant in response to God speaking to Moses and Moses in turn speaking to the people is they are told to look in to know their response. That's box number two on the way down. Israel is told how to respond to God to the covenant he is making with Moses for Israel. They're given Ten Commandments. This is how I want you to live, as a people of purpose. Ten Commandments, these basic terms of the agreement. When they're filled out, they're about worship and social justice, how to live, shaping the nation into one of generosity and justice, different from the other nations, set apart. Their obedience to God is what sets them apart from the other nations. Verse 5, now therefore if indeed you obey my voice and keep my covenant or at least it should have but how well uh, do they actually do Um, how did they do when responding to this command and they don't always do too well I briefly touched on it in the overview when we were laughing a bit too much at at Ezra to maybe have heard anything that I actually said but that's fine Um, when Moses is up the mountain uh, in these chapters getting blueprints for something called the tabernacle where God would dwell among his people we look and we see that they mess up they, they build this golden calf. They say to Aaron, they say, hey, we need to build something. They're, they get impatient waiting for Moses. I think he's been up there a couple of months. And they're like, hey, we can, let's build this golden calf to worship as the one who saved us out of Egypt. They're breaking the first two commands that Moses has just given them. Moses has to step in. Their response should have been obedience to the new covenant. That they've eagerly agreed to. Instead, it's rebellion. Moses has to step in, and God sees what's happening down below, and He invites Moses into his anger and his pain. He tells Moses what He wants to do I want to wipe Israel out. And Moses intercedes, He says, Well, God, how would that look to the other nations? How would that look in terms of you keeping your promise? and, and, And God relents. And he does bring judgment on the instigators, but he forgives Israel as a whole and he invites them back into this covenant relationship. Moses is asking God not to lose face with those around him and to be a God that keeps his promises. In Exodus, we've got all of this, but then actually there's this whole thing of actually God dwelling with his people. How did that actually look? Because we're saying that they had access to God, but what did that actually mean? So what is this tabernacle thing that we're talking about? If you want to go to, um, in your own time, you can go to Exodus 33. This is where this bit's taken from, verse 7 and 8. Uh, and Moses is it's being described as how Moses goes to the tabernacle to go to where God's presence is. And he's saying that it is far off from the camp. And if we're saying that Israel is about two million strong by now, Israel, the actual average everyday Jew, let's call him Benjamin or Ben, Okay, he's standing in between his tent. That's where he's told to stand, to watch Moses. But we should probably call him Binocular Ben, because actually it's absolutely miles away. Remember, there's two million of them. In fact, they're probably all more likely to be telescope Tims. This is a long way away. I thought that was funnier than you guys did, but it's fine. (laughs) And right at the end of Exodus, we see that Moses cannot enter the tent. His own sin and Israel's sin has separated them from God. It's a bit like the worst seats in the house at the Olympics. So hands up. Anyone go to the Olympics when I was here? Amazing. So the worst seats in the house are right at the back, and you can't see anything you think that person might be Usain Bolt, only the screen uh, can verify that, I can't actually see anything. And although you know the effects of what is happening, you see the effects of what is going on, it's far from a personal one-on-one experience encounter. It's not backstage access, but actually that is the kind of access that God wanted with his people. It's the kind of access that he wants with me and you, so actually we see that that's not what Israel's got, so how is God going to reconcile this? And we look to verses 5 and 6 to unpack what God wanted. It says that you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel's called to be obedient, yes, to live differently, set apart from the other nations. God required this of them so that they could be his people. The verse that we just read, if they had obeyed fully, then that's probably what it could have looked like in more fullness than it ended up looking like. So the second thing they do is they look in to know their response. And the third thing that Israel does is they look forward to walk in their purpose. If Israel could keep the terms of the agreement, then they would be God's treasured people. The ones to walk in the fulfilled promise that God made to Abraham that God would be with them as they possessed the land that he had promised. Israel's purpose was to be God's people. He set up a covenant with them, a set of rules that they could be kept clean, you know, pure and holy. And when they approached him, they would be this holy nation. But actually, that isn't as good as it sounds because there's just this one high priest once a year who is going to go into the holy of holies, the bit where God's presence actually is. And this person would go through two weeks of ritual just to try and make sure that they were clean enough for that. And the reason is, is if they weren't, they would die. If they weren't. History suggests in the Bible that they would fall dead. And actually that's because the penalty of sin is death. And that hasn't changed. And actually we see that Israel in their sin has put such a huge barrier between themselves and God. It was only in animal sacrifice that Israel could even attempt to appease or know God. An ultimate sacrifice was needed. So actually we see that the access to God was limited to say the least, and yet we know the promise that is being fulfilled to Israel, of God knowing his people, has not been fulfilled completely. Because we know that the promise says that at some day it will be to all nations. You are my treasure possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine. And this is where we come in. This is where Jesus begins to take center stage. If this was a youth talk, I'd tell you this is the bit where you need to re-engage because this is the important part. Okay, this is the bit where we're talking about how it looks for us today. For Moses pointed forward to Jesus, the one who was the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice, the one whose rescue on the cross was not just for Israel, but for all nations. And so all of us can be beneficiaries of what Jesus has done for us. We can be a people of purpose, and that's just how Peter sees it in his first letter. He's quoting the passage of Exodus that we've been focusing on in our pews today. It's 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10. I think it's gonna come up on the screen, and I'm gonna read it to us. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Through Jesus, the baton has been passed. We are God's people, a people of purpose. So the first thing that we do, looking on the right-hand column of the note sheet, is we look back to know whose we are. We look back to the cross, to Jesus as the Passover lamb the final, ultimate sacrifice, the one who paid the price for our sins so that we could enter a new covenant, a personal relationship with the living God through our mediator, Jesus. Verse 10 of the 1 Peter passage, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We were not given what we deserved because our sin deserved death. Jesus took that. He took the place of that, and we received mercy, through the cross, what a thing to look back to, to remember whose we are, to know the price for our sins is totally paid for, that we can choose to belong to Jesus. We've got to recognize tonight that it's a choice. It might be a choice you've already made, but I think hopefully we can recognize that this can be a daily choice as well, to remember whose we are. Because if we do, we realize what name we're walking in. We realize the power that that brings and the hope that that brings, and I hope the intention that that brings in the way that we speak, the way that we live our lives. It's like a tape recording of all we've ever done wrong being wiped clean. We were once not a people, now we are a people, God's people. So we look back to know whose we are. And then we look in to know our response to this. We look in to know our response. So, what is our response to this amazing truth? We love because we were first loved. Maybe that comes into our minds and that's that's good. Uh, Or authentic relationship with Jesus leads to a desire to please him, to live in obedience to his commands, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him is what Peter writes. have you ever heard of people who have had a near-death experience, come out the other side of that and suddenly have a new zeal for life? They're very intentional about wanting to, to do something new, something different, something good. But actually, do we recognize that we're in a near-death experience? That actually our sin should lead to death? And actually, if we don't deal with that, then that is, that's what's going to happen. So actually, how does that inform the rest of our lives? To so realize the price that Jesus paid for our sins means we can live. In freedom, we can live lives lived for for Jesus. And are we going to proclaim his excellencies in the way that we live, we act, we speak, we think? I know for a fact that I don't do that all the time, but I know that I want to. I know that I want to take steps towards that looking better in my life. I wonder if you do this evening as well. This is not a religious box-ticking obedience. This is a love-filled response to a relationship kind of obedience it's something that we want to do not something we feel we have to do so we look in to know our response and third point we look forward to walk in our purpose your purpose is to be in covenant with God which means that we know him through Jesus we know his presence with us shaping us But you, this is verse 9 of the 1 Peter passage, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Colossians 3 verse 12 unpacks it a little bit more. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Talking about us. You are chosen. You are set apart. You are seen by God as holy through our relationship with Jesus. We're commissioned, and I wonder, are we going to step up? I can think of times in my life where I have, and I can think of times in my life where I really haven't. And realize that being in covenant with God, having full access to his presence through Jesus, that because he is a sending God and a saving God, that equally he sends us to those who are not yet saved. He commissions us, he asks us to join in. He asked us to be part of what he's already doing. We're not trying to learn new things. We're trying to work out of a living relationship with Jesus, shaped by him, transformed by him, to let that affect every area of our lives, to let that affect how we approach every area of our lives. You know, we were talking this evening, sorry, before the service, about this idea of peace. Peace. And actually, I think sometimes when we think of purpose and what is the meaning of life and what is the purpose of life, the immediate thing we think is, ah, I've got no idea. I don't know what you're doing with my life, God. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why this hasn't happened. I don't know why this has happened. But actually, what we're saying here is if we're saying that in the famous verses around Christmas time about Jesus being the Prince of Peace, found that in Isaiah 9, that, this, that kind of idea, well, if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, then in that situation when we're thinking about purpose... We can claim the peace that is rightfully ours through Jesus. We can claim the peace in the biggest storm that we have in our lives. We can claim the joy in the bits that are going really well as well. We can live in both of those things because we are a people of purpose. Are we going to walk in that? Meghan Markle made a royal allegiance this week. They will together be seeking to do good in the world. And this Christmas, her access to the royal family has increased She's been invited in. She has a new assignment as the wife of a prince. And actually, we make a royal allegiance with King Jesus. Good link. I appreciate it. We are going to seek to do good in this world in response to Jesus and his transformative work in us. We have new access to the King of Kings. We have a new assignment to live as a people of purpose. You know, we talk about the vision of this church to see every life Bearing fruit for Jesus. And that is the vision of this church. We want to see that. But actually, I hope that that's the vision of every Christian. That we want to be so changed and shaped and transformed by the love of Jesus. So that is what happens when we go out into our world. That people around us begin to bear fruit for Jesus because they see something different in us. Do people want that? Do you want that? Come on. Let's, get, let's do this. Um, <laughs> we are not better than the Israelites. But we have a greater high priest And a perfect sacrifice. There was limited access. Now there is limitless access. How are we going to use that amazing truth? That there was limited access. And now through Jesus, there is limitless access. What wonderful news. I'm going to invite the band um, to come and join me. But I'd love us to take a moment. I recognize, and I think I said at some point, that I think that our corporate purpose and our individual purpose can be found in a relationship with Jesus. So I want to recognize, we've talked a little bit about the corporate, this idea of going out, and we're going we're to go back there later. But first I want to recognize that actually I, the Holy Spirit can speak to us as individuals. I'd love to invite you to stand with me. Maybe this isn't something that you've done before. Maybe the idea of inviting the Holy Spirit is a, is a completely new concept to you. Um, the Holy Spirit's great the Holy Spirit is not going to do anything that you don't want him to do but actually if we open ourselves up to God then he can and he wants to, to change us and shape us and convict us to bring things to mind that I haven't said based on some of the things that I have said and in a moment I'm just going to give space, the band aren't going to play just yet we're going to have a moment of silence where we respond individually whereas maybe we're responding as God's treasure possession, maybe we want to respond in saying God we want to Learn to treasure you as you have treasured us. Maybe we want to be this holy nation. Be holy as I am holy. Maybe we know there's area areas of our lives where that's not lining up. We need to spend this moment in repentance. Knowing that we have a God that forgives our sins. And maybe for you being convicted about something completely different. The Holy Spirit can do that. That's okay. Just spend a moment in silence now. So we ask God to to help us respond.